Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. I'm your host, Michelle. Now, before we dive into our episode, I wanted to take a chance to answer some of your questions. So if you do have a question for us that you would like to hear answered on one of our next episodes, leave us a comment in a review, email us at podcast.tennis-warehouse.com, or leave us a voicemail at 805-270-3336. So first up is Skipper1994, and they ask... Will T-Dub start incorporating pickleball into podcasts since they carry the gear? Would love to see that happen. The quick and easy answer here is no, unfortunately. A lot of us do play, and some people at T-Dub even play in tournaments, but Talk Tennis is really focused on tennis and our passion for that sport. And while pickleball is super fun, and it might come up from time to time in episodes, I wouldn't expect any pickleball-specific episodes anytime soon. I do know there are some pickleball podcasts out there, so highly suggest checking those out. Next up, we have a question from Eddie Brock, and they ask, a problem I have when buying shoes is my heel tends to lift. My current shoe is the Asics Cord FF, but they're pretty beat up. I tried the FF2s and my heel is lifting, and I don't feel like I have the stability I need. He also goes on to mention that he has a strained calf muscle and really wants to make sure he's in a good shoe. Now, the best answer I can give is to really find a shoe that you feel 100% comfortable in. If it's not the Cord FF or the Cord FF2, then try something else. So I have three suggestions of shoes that are so stable and really hold your feet in, including your heel. So Adidas has the new Stycon. That shoe literally hugs your foot in so tight. You're going to feel so stable. Your heel is not leaving that shoe. So check that one out. I know it's new, but definitely a very stable option. Another shoe I'm going to suggest is pretty new is the Nike Vapor Cage 4. Same thing, it kind of really hugs your foot in. It does have that booty-like construction and really is going to lock you in and make you feel comfortable and confident. The third shoe I'm going to suggest is the Yonex Power Cushion Fusion Rev. Same thing, a bit of a booty-like construction, really locks in your feet. So give those a go. The best thing I can suggest also is to order these shoes Try them on once you get them and walk around in your living room or somewhere that has carpet. Don't take them straight to the court. Make sure you feel confident walking around in them before you get on the court. Because if they don't feel good just walking around, then that's a sign that they're not going to be the best fit for you. And we do offer free returns on unworn tennis shoes. So send them back to us and we will get you dialed in. Feel free to reach out and we would be more than happy to continue to help you find the best shoe for your feet. That's it for this week. If you guys do have a question that you would like featured on our next episode, please send us an email at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com or leave us a voicemail at 805-270-3336. Now let's get into this week's episode. Okay, welcome to Talk Tennis. Today, I want to welcome Andy Blow, and he is a sports scientist with a degree in sports and exercise science from the University of Bath. 
An expert in sweat, dehydration, and cramping, he has worked with several professional athletes from individuals in the NFL, the NBA, the Premier League, athletes at the Porsche Human Performance Center, as well as tennis players like Pat Cash and Cameron Norrie. Not only has he done the research, but he's also an athlete who struggled with hydration as an elite triathlete. Currently, he's teamed up with Precision Hydration to help solve struggles for individuals at any athletic level, and he's here today to answer some of your questions and let me pick his brain. So welcome, Andy. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you very much for the invite. Of course. Now, first things first, I just kind of wanted to hear about your background and how you got interested in the science of hydration. Well, like you said in the intro, a lot of it for me was really kind of personal struggles with this problem. Mm-hmm. I was I was a triathlete and I would go and race often in the UK. The weather's quite mild or cold and I would perform at a pretty good level. And then I would go abroad and one of my hardest experiences I ever had was qualifying for the Ironman in Kona. So the Ironman World Championships, which is there every year. And right. of course, out there, the heat is like 90 degrees 85% humidity, the heat index is, you know, I don't know what that is, like must be over over 90 anyway, and super oppressive. And my, my performances in that condition would just fall apart. I would literally be nowhere. And for me, that exhibited as, you know, being a total cramping mess late on in the race. I ended up in the medical tent, taking an IV. And mm. this, this just was like a repeating story for me in lots of hot races. So I knew that I sweated a lot. And I thought that was kind of part of the problem. But what the big discovery for me, if you like, was that a friend of mine who was a doctor said that he thought I was losing a lot of salt, not just a lot of sweat. Right. It was very visible on my clothing and, and that sort of thing. And um, so he got me sweat tested, which involved taking a sweat sample and sort of pointing out that I, and, and he was right, I lose a load of salt in my sweat. My sweat is super, super salty. It's not quite seawater, but it's it's not... <laughs> <laughs> it's not too far off. And that was the seed that sowed the idea of what precision hydration is now. Now, I can 100% relate. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I've never done a triathlete and, and never did it in Kona. So I've never mm-hmm. gotten to that level. But I am a salty, sweaty person. Yeah. And it's not as glamorous being a female athlete that just like spews salt and sweat. But I feel you. And yeah. I really appreciate people that are working on this science because I think as athletes, sometimes we almost feel like we're not performing and go back to the gym and think it's that. And instead it's something else that we, we need to focus yeah. on and learn about. Absolutely. And something actually sort of quite simple, really. Mm-hmm. But if no one points out to you, because I don't know if you've seen this, but if you're like, like me, if you are one of the kind of top sweaters, you know, you're someone yeah. who's just sweating more and losing loads more fluid. You might look at what other athletes are doing and think, well, they only drink this or they only drink this much and they only do this and they're fine. Why am I falling apart? And it's exactly that. I went back to the basics. I was training harder and trying to overcome right. it every other way. And for me, it was, it once I knew about it, it was a relatively straightforward solution. It was like, I needed way more salt and I needed to manage my fluid intake better. And those two things were like night and day. It was an overnight change. Now, I have a question because this is something that about 10 years ago, it came up for me and I was getting my hydration levels checked by a personal trainer I was working with. And he was like, wow, you're just showing so dehydrated day in, day in, day in. You got to up your water. So I just started drinking more and more water. However, the more water I was drinking, I actually became more dehydrated. 
And there was something going on where I wasn't consuming enough salt. So I wasn't, my body wasn't holding on to the water. So can you talk about stuff like that where we think, oh my gosh, I'm so dehydrated. I need to drink more water. But sometimes that's not actually the answer. Well, yeah, that's that's the typical response, isn't it, right? If you tell someone, oh, I'm, I'm dehydrated, oh, well, you need to drink more water. And that's what yeah. people do. And I was like that. I was I was paranoid about dehydration in races. Yeah. So I drink and drink and drink. And then what you actually do is you, you work your body into a position where you dilute it. And the condition is called hyponatremia. And it means yeah. hypo is low and natremia is the salt level in your blood. And basically, when you dilute the salt levels in your blood down below a certain level, it can be very dangerous. I got hyponatremia a couple of times without realizing it until later. And it makes you feel lousy. But but athletes do die from it you know, occasionally. It's, not, it's yeah. not common, but there have been a number in the past few years. And, and um, yeah, I think part of it is because of that athlete mentality of, you know, your personal trainer says drink more. And and because you're kind of a go getting do it all person, you, you I'm gonna drink, drink like, all of it. Yeah, I'm gonna just keep drinking. Let's see how much and then you end up just weeing and when you wee, you actually wee out quite a lot of sodium as well. So you just get this horrible imbalance. And, you know, yeah. for, for me, I actually, if anything, I, th- I think I learned to drink maybe even a little bit less than I was drinking. But for me, it was the ratio of salt in the, so I needed to drink because I was losing a lot of salt. Right. I needed to drink a lot of salt in with the water. And, you know, we've had examples of this with tennis players. I've worked with a couple of, of, of top tier tennis players who mm-hmm. were really struggling in five, set um five set matches in the heat and we're basically often cramping up or not always cramping but just fading like crazy in the later stages when it was hot and humid Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time we we realized with them that this can be if they're a salty sweater and they're sweating a lot maybe for two three sets they can muscle through you know and they're getting a little bit of salt from their the the foods they're eating and and maybe a little bit from a dilute sports drink right if they don't really hit the hit something a lot heavier, you know, and later on they can fall off a cliff. And it's so it's the, the the weird thing is it's so individual because some people do get away with drinking relatively little or taking in relatively little salt because their body conserves it. So if you you know you gave the example of you think you're losing a lot of salt in your sweat, you know, we see people that lose just 200 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat which is really really dilute but i'm losing nearly 2000 milligrams per liter so that difference is massive you know i guess it's like i guess it's like you know going out on court and if you're drinking a diet if i was drinking a dilute sports drink it's a bit like going out on court with a size 15 shoe when i'm actually a nine (laughs) yeah or or vice versa probably right you know it's just totally wrong well, and maybe speak a little bit to that because I feel like there's also um, some thoughts from people like, oh, if they're sweating more, they're not as in shape. Mm. It's more a genetic issue, right? Or how can you change the way you sweat or the how much you sweat or how much salt you sweat? Well, I mean, there's different there's different factors there. First of all, I would say you're, you're largely right in that sweating has a big genetic component. So mm-hmm. people, some people, you know, sounds like you and I, we've got a yeah. common in there somewhere and you know we some people just sweat more than others it's simple you just see these people in the gym or you know you don't want to be sat next to them in a spin class because they're soaking wet but also the funny thing is the fitter you get the more you'll sweat so whatever your basic baseline of sweating is as you get fitter you tend to sweat more because it's the body's way of cooling so when you can sweat more, you can cool more effectively and work harder. So actually, people who sweat more are often fitter than, yeah. than, or they sweat more than people who are less fit. But ultimately, you haven't got a lot of say in that. 
you, it's, it is how it is. So if you sweat a lot, you sweat a lot. And, this, and the same is largely true with the amount of salt you sweat. So I've been sweat tested many, many times over many mm-hmm. years. And my my sweat sodium number, although if I if I come to your part of the world where it's nice and hot and dry and train for a few weeks, my sweat sodium level might go down a tiny bit with acclimation. Okay. I don't go from being like nearly 2,000 to 200. I go from 2,000 to maybe 1,700 milligrams a litre, okay. which is still a hell of a lot. It's a big drop yeah. for me. But, <laughs> yeah. but ultimately, it still means I lose an absolute ton of salt. So, yeah, it's it's kind of basically you are how you are within a certain set of tolerances. And the actual way of dealing with that is not to try and kind of train the body differently. It's to react by putting different things in your body, be that through the foods you eat or the drinks that you drink when you're exercising and sweating to better meet your individual needs. Makes sense. Now, we got a ton of questions from listeners, but before we jump into those, I had a few more things that I wanted to ask you. With dehydration often comes cramping. Yeah. Sometimes it's when you're in the middle of your sport, sometimes it's hours later. So what causes that cramp? And is there a difference in cramps caused by hydration and cramps caused by something else? Definitely. Yeah. There's and there's a lot of this is a really contentious issue as well. And the, mm-hmm. the bottom line is nobody really knows what causes cramping a hundred percent. There's lots of intertwining and overlapping theories. Okay. But the one about dehydration and and electrolyte depletion is probably the probably the most convincing one is something to do with the way fluid shifts in and out of cells and it could be that there's a the, the loss of sodium or potassium but particularly sodium creates a, an imbalance in intracellular fluid and extracellular fluid which puts pressure on um, nerve endings and causes muscles to misfire but wrapped in amongst that you, t- you find these cases where people whose electrolytes are out of balance are not cramping so there's mm-hmm. kind of confounding theories. But whilst we don't fully understand it, what we definitely see is a solid trend towards lots of athletes who sweat a lot and lose a lot of salt having cramping problems in the heat. And those cramping problems are often solved by more sodium, more salt, and a little bit more fluid. So there's kind of smoke and maybe a little bit of fire, but not a lot mm-hmm. of evidence. And then okay. but but the bigger the bigger picture is there is also kind of cramps that athletes get or other people get which are definitely not to do with electrolyte depletion because they can happen randomly at times when you're either just starting exercising so you're not depleted or mm-hmm. when you're doing something which wouldn't have or when you are in a, a well hydrated state mm-hmm. and i think now I, one of those that i tend to suffer from is if i don't ride a bike as much as i used to and if i jump on my trainer at home and someone else has been using it and the seat height's a little bit wrong or something and I can't be bothered to change it. I can like I can get a cramp in my calf or in my hamstring or in my hip flexor because I'm asking my muscle to move through a range that it's not conditioned for. Okay. If I go really hard too fast, then I can like ping up a cramp. That's the kind of cramp you see. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see uh, the hundred meter sprinters in the in the World Championships or Olympics pull up with a bit of a hamstring cramp or something. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. more of like an explosive. You're asking the muscles a bit too much cramp. The cramps that happen late on in endurance activities, and tennis isn't a classic endurance activity, but when you get into later sets, I think it is. And when it's associated with fatigue and and electrolyte depletion, those two things might interact, but they both contribute. So I I know that's a very sort of vague answer, but the the reality is people don't kind of know exactly what causes it. But but sometimes an easy solution or an easy solution to test for is one related to your electrolyte intake because it costs very little 
there's very little downside yeah and you can sort of you know give it a whirl and see if it works yeah no I think that's good because I know a lot of people out there don't necessarily buy into the hydration drinks and the electrolyte drinks because there's a lot of still unsure myths or you know not solid evidence so it's nice to hear that you're agreeing with them and we can move forward with how to stay hydrated and avoid that based on different body types I think if I can jump in there I think one of the things that that I've come across a lot with people who are skeptical about it is a lot Mm -hmm. of the people that come to us will say well I've tried an electrolyte drink or a sports drink and it's not stop my cramping and then you look at the composition of most sports drinks and, and a lot a lot of sports drinks are basically water with quite a lot of sugar and a yeah. little bit of electrolyte so in concentration terms if we took you know the classic u.s sports drink is obviously gatorade it it has around about four or five hundred milligrams of sodium per liter serving okay which is about 32 ounces and in order to be like really effective against cramping in someone who's a bit depleted, our experience tells us we need more like a thousand to fifteen hundred milligrams per liter, which is double or triple the strength of that. So right. what most people haven't done is actually sort of tried anything which is anywhere near strong enough. So they've they've they have tried it, but mm-hmm. it's not done the job and therefore they've kind of chucked it out. But it's the dose that that hasn't been applied and i think that's a critical thing is you know drinks like um well we make one ph 1500 but pedialyte is another one and things like that which are a lot lot stronger yeah. are much more suitable to, to actually give a fair test against cramping now you might call me crazy but because i know i'm a sweater i have a jar of salt on my desk at all times and i can tell based on you know, sometimes I'll be sitting there and I just sweat and I'm like, oh, mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm dehydrated. So uh, I'll take shots of like salt water. I don't know if that's crazy. I know my boss also yeah. does it, but. <laughs> no, I think, it's, I think it's a great idea if it works for you. And that's, that's yeah. as an athlete, you get to know your body really well. And right. it sort of doesn't matter that this is the other thing about sports drinks where people get quite angry is they've been sold and missold over the years as being magic in some way. Right. And they're, they're not. They're a good sports drink is a, at a healthy dose of salt or sodium, uh, a little bit of carbohydrate, uh, probably a lot less than what's in the majority of the drinks that are out there, and some water. So you know you're making your own kind of concoction. There. The, <laughs> yeah. The, the only the only kind of the only sort of caveat I would say to people who are doing their homebrew type remedies is that sometimes it's it's good to understand a bit more accurately the dose of what you're doing sometimes you know especially if you're trying to plan it out over a um an exercise session or a a competition or something like that where Mm -hmm. actually if you're just taking salt a bit randomly and not sure you can do it by feel if you're really good right but but sometimes it helps to have a measured dose but other than that there's there's not a lot of difference you know basically that's it if that works for you that's Mm -hmm. a great methodology Okay, cool. Keep on doing that. (laughs) Um, I also wanted to ask you, a lot of our listeners are recreational players, so they're not like high level athletes. What about the effects of alcohol and hydration? Whether it's the night before, if you know, like you went out, had a few drinks, how is that going to affect your performance the next day? And then also curious about I've heard rumors, and I don't know if this is true, but I've seen high-level players cramp up really bad in really hot conditions, and they have been given a beer to instantly help with their cramping. So maybe you can hit on some of those. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think for, for starters, everyone or most most athletes at least will know that obviously alcohol beyond a certain level is a diuretic, which means it makes you wee, and ultimately that is bad for hydration rather than good. Although right. actually, what a lot of people don't realise is that probably like a beer or whatever yeah. is just as good at rehydrating you than pretty much any other drink, and maybe even better than some drinks because nice. a very a low amount of alcohol or a you know, and and we all know that thing like if I go for a long run in the summer and I can sink a cold beer afterwards, you know, yeah. guilt free. And, yeah. and actually it does, it does help to rehydrate you, but it's kind of the one beer, not the three or four that you maybe want right. to have. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's that, you know, alcohol and certainly with alcohol and cramping, I definitely know that if I've been out and had a few too many beers or something like that, um, purely for research purposes, normally, of course. Not, yeah, then, then the next morning, if I tried and run, then I've got very sore and tight muscles. I'm much more likely to cramp. Sometimes I'll get cramps in the night. And a lot of that is just due to simple, you know, like you're just getting dehydrated. So it's a boring message, but the message is like, if you're focusing on performance, then like moderation and being sensible is key because excess on the alcohol will only be a detriment to your hydration. Um, as to giving someone a beer when they're cramping, I don't know. Probably if you gave them some salt with it, it wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I would, I would probably say there are more effective things to give them, like a or rehydration drink or, or something. Pedialyte like. or yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, and then moving from there, what about diet and the influence of diet? Obviously, <laughs> the influence on diet in athletes is a big deal. But yeah. are you? Do you see individuals that eat a very strict diet have less hydration issues, or does it go back to genetic? It could actually be the other way, you know, because I've seen I've had two or three cases in the last two or three years pop up where people have been having problems with hydration, and mm-hmm. they've actually been athletes who've been eating super super clean. So mm-hmm. no process, you know, minimal processed foods, no added salt, no nothing, and you find that. Because the general health messaging, which is correct for the vast majority of people, is eat less salt, right. then the message is kind of embedded in our heads from a young age that the salt shake is bad and that we shouldn't add salt, we shouldn't eat processed foods. And some of these athletes do that incredible, diligent thing of following that to a, a T. And then they're training a lot and sweating and they're not replacing a lot of salt. And there mm-hmm. are case studies in the scientific literature as well of athletes becoming salt depleted because of this issue so they become less well hydrated because actually the amount of fluid that you retain in the body is directly related to the amount of salt that's in the body okay so if you if you deplete salt your body fluid volume reduces right and you end up in a worse state than you should be so it's really important for athletes not to there's no one rule that fits all but athletes that train a lot and lose a lot of salt might need to eat and consume in their diet five or eight times more salt than someone who's inactive. Yeah. And that, again, that's all just individual. Exactly the same as it is for calories or whatever. Right. Yeah. The, the other group of athletes who who often suffer with fluid balance issues are the people who eat very low carb. Mm. Because low carb, so carbohydrate in the body stores water with it. So glycogen stores water with it. And if you deplete and eat low carb and end up low on glycogen storage a lot of the time then your total body water is low and so a lot of low carb athletes find they have to increase their salt intake to help with fluid balance okay which is um which is just an interesting one which i don't know how big the kind of whole low carb eating thing is in tennis actually but it's definitely it's got bigger in 
in general population and certainly right. we see it a bit more in like ultra distance runners and uh, triathletes as if there's pockets of them that are quite into that philosophy. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing a lot more plant-based athletes all of a sudden, yeah. which I think is awesome. Mm. I actually am a former low carb eater who yeah. now has transitioned to more of a plant-based diet. And it was kind of crazy for me to start eating carbs again, like consistently. Yeah. And it's crazy. It's done wonders for me. I really enjoy it. But it's definitely like there's so many different ways of eating and so many players are eating in their own way and trying to yeah. figure it out. So it's kind of whatever works for you. But it's yeah, really interesting yeah. hearing that. I definitely think you're right about whatever works for you. It's the individualization thing again. It's like anything usually with diet or hydration or exercise even, anything mm -hmm. which is really extreme often gets people's attention but often isn't the right answer or the best thing. But what it can be is like the low carb thing was great for signposting a lot of people towards the fact that they probably are over consuming carbohydrate. But right. The problem is it drags a load of people to the extreme of no carbohydrate. And I think we've had the same with salt. We've had like too much salt and then yeah. everyone's aiming for less salt, less salt, less salt. And what we should be talking about is with these things is like appropriateness of it. So yes. I probably eat a fair bit less carbohydrate than I used to when I was training 15 hours a week right I only now do four or five hours training a week but but I still I did a hard training session this morning and the first thing I did afterwards was I was hungry and I fueled up on a good carbohydrate breakfast because I knew I needed it you know yeah. you just nothing satisfies that hunger like that and you kind right. of have to listen to your body on that Definitely. Well, let's get into some questions from some of our Talk Tennis message board people. There's some really good ones out there. So here's the first one. He says, I use salt stick pills and tablets yep. in the warm weather to prevent cramps. I'd be curious to hear more about dealing with hot and humid weather conditions and cramping as it relates to hydration. Mm. I, d I think that's a, you know, it's a good idea, basically. So most of those salt capsule type products i mean there's salt sticks that he's mentioned we make one called a sweat salt capsule which is a similar type of thing um, they tend to contain you have to read the packet but the good ones will contain somewhere between 200 and 300 milligrams of sodium per capsule per serving mm. and you would therefore take one of those with a 16 ounce bottle of water would kind of be a low dose two with a 16 ounce would be medium and three would be a really heavy dose with 16 okay. ounces of water and then what i would say is then based on if you think you're a low salt sweater or uh, something you know, you know you would you would be more on the zero to one scale per hour and you would build up alongside an escalating fluid intake so that you or i might be two or three per mm -hmm. hour in really hot weather with two or three bottles of water or something like that and and that's where a little bit of trial and error intelligent trial and error but understanding what the numbers are on those pills is really important because yeah. there was a couple of really big companies that make um, electrolyte replacement capsules that have really really low doses of sodium okay. so um there's a, a, a product made by hammer which is another type of brand which who makes some great products in the endurance space but their electrolyte pills are really really low in sodium i think it's like 40 milligrams wow so people take a couple of those and they look exactly the same as one that contains 250 milligrams but the difference is huge so really like learning to understand what that dose means and reading the packet is, is super important. And then yeah. as we talked about the cramping side of things, I think if, you, if you're if you a cramper and you're not taking any at the moment, I would jump straight in there with sort of like at least two, if not three of those with a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. And you'll soon start to see if, if that has a, a noticeably positive effect. 
it, it, you won't have to wait days and days. You know, it'll be like fairly, right. not instantaneous, but you know, within a few minutes, few hours, you'll you'll realize whether you're still cramping or not. Nice. Here's another great question. I actually really enjoy this one. It's kind of something we touched on a little bit. We have a drug that can instantly reverse the effect of a narcotic overdose and bring someone back from the dead, but we lack a remedy for cramps beyond walk it off. Why is that? I think it's because it's proven to be stubbornly complex in terms of the the, the causes for it. Because mm-hmm. like I said, there's almost like these different flavors of muscle cramp. And you find that you know an electrolyte imbalanced muscle cramp has different characteristics to a sometimes you can get a cramp football players might get a cramp when they get tackled and hit on a muscle that's that's working it's a trauma shock type reaction and the other thing that's made cramps really difficult to study is that especially these days you can't really ethically get a bunch of people in a lab environment and reliably get them to cramp or kind of try to create conditions where you cramp in them because it's painful, it's nasty and you do damage. Right. So so who's going to sign up for that and who's going to yeah. approve that study to be done? You know, we can't we can't do that sort of thing to people. And and what's even worse is you could get a bunch of athletes like I used to cramp a lot in races, but very rarely in training. And mm. I, I'm sure there's a lot of tennis players who would cramp up late in matches but have probably never cramped in practice. Right. And so reliably recreating the conditions that guarantee a cramp so that you can then test loads of hypotheses to then fix it is almost impossible so then we end up with all and and furthermore i think we end up with all these different types of cramps which get confused and almost ought to be classified totally differently you know if you're if you're a person getting night cramps due to a kidney disease then could well be a totally different type of cause to someone who's getting cramps in the fifth set of the yeah, Australian Open. Right. And so we kind of have to silo these things a little bit to start with, reliably repeat them, break it and and just it's it's a very it's a it's a tough task. So for the mm-hmm. time being, yeah, we're we're stuck mm-hmm. with a load of <laughs> competing theories and disagreement. That makes yeah, sense. On, no, that's on, good. on that subject though, we've got a pretty big blog on our website all about cramping. So if you want to include that in the show notes for that yeah, question for sure. in particular, then it, it sort of discusses that topic and has a load of links in there. Definitely. We will include that. Uh, next question. I sweat a lot on court, go through multiple shirts, towels, sweatbands. I feel you. <laughs> he says, as well as the usual cramps, I can suffer from headaches for hours, sometimes days later. Water alone doesn't prevent the headaches and most electrolyte drinks don't either. I won't mention the brands in case it's frowned upon, but I found one supplement that works. I'm sure there's others, but I'd be interested in the science behind this. I think that's going to all be down to the dose, the, what we talked about before, the concentration yeah, exactly. of the dose. So that's probably someone who's stumbled upon a strong drink that works for them. But all of these low dose electrolyte drinks are just not going to cut it. And for us in our range, our, our products are five, called 500,000, 1500 to mm-hmm. be transparent about the amount of mm-hmm. sodium that's in them. And yeah. for people who are heavy sweaters, crampers or suffering with these headaches, now we always start them on a few doses of the 1500 and and the, the 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 hit ratio for improving those symptoms is is really really strong so i would yeah. say you know look at the stronger ones and you know that that'll be the way to to assess if that's the issue i was going to say i ha- you guys sent me some i have mine i've been using it and <laughs> <laughs> excited to use it consistently and get get my salt issues <laughs> sorted <Yeah>. out <laughs> cuz it's kind of like a discipline thing for me just like any other athlete in training and eating 
hydration's like a discipline that you have to yeah. really be focused on. So another popular question, and I'm sure you've heard about this, but a lot of questions about pickle juice. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people have been using it. This one person says, I've been using it consistently, full strength is too much. So now I dilute it with water. So it's drinkable. I've backed off lately, though, because I was wondering if the salt content is too much, and he doesn't want to raise his blood pressure as a side effect. Yeah, good, good question. Um, So pickle juice is just in this context, there are other things in it. But basically, it's very, very salty water. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Okay. So it's again, going back to that thing of the dose response thing, you know, a lot of people if you can take it as a little shot, and it obviously yeah. tastes well. Some people like it, but yeah. in the minority, I think most it's it's a pretty disgusting taste. And it's like get your medicine down and then chase it down with water. Or right. the the other thing you can do is just have a more appropriate strength of drink, which tastes good, mixed up, and just drink that normally. Yeah. And I think that's where there's no again, there's no magic in pickle juice. You know, it's it's been marketed brilliantly, and <laughs> and I can't even decry it for not being effective because it potentially is. It's a high dose of sodium in a small amount of water, but it's expensive way and a, and a bad tasting way of doing it. I think the only genuine downside is I have seen people be sick if they they ingest it all really quickly. It can definitely make you feel quite nauseous, which is. Mm. Yeah, that sounds horrible. <laughs> detracting from your performance in another way if you if you sick on the court. Yeah. Another option that we've heard about is apple cider vinegar. Yeah, so I think this one is more to do with the neuromuscular or the neural theory of cramping where okay. the the apple cider vinegar on it some of these pungent tasting kind of compounds that you put in your mouth you know, like mustard powder people sometimes say mm-hmm. can stimulate um, TRP receptors in your esophagus and your mouth which then create a cascade of neuro uh, nervous system activity that ultimately causes the muscle to relax interesting and okay so so it is thought that that can be effective when if you get a cramp you can maybe stop it via that method and mm-hmm. again I've seen mixed results I've, I have seen people who do this and swear by it but I've also seen people who it doesn't work for or it makes them sick. So it's okay. definitely something if you're tempted to try it, the first time to try it is probably not in the heat of competition. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a great answer. That means a lot to me. I didn't know that about that, but I know a lot of people have turned to it when cramping. So awesome. What should I do when I split sets? This is often when I cramp right at the beginning of the third set. Is stress a factor? Yeah, I think psychological stress definitely contributes Mm -hmm. to it. So mental relaxation and and that kind of thing. Maybe as well, it's got a little bit to do with starting to seize up and slow down. So keeping moving, keeping stretching the muscle groups that are likely to cramp. Or, you know, I've seen athletes use um, foam rollers or or little hand massages if it's your calves that are going to go or, you you know, you get in there and keep keep moving and keep warm because that can be an issue. Another thing is glycogen depletion. So are you eating enough carbohydrate? to fuel Mm -hmm. what you're doing because you're more likely to cramp the more fatigued you get so all of those things I think are kind of little steps that you can try and take to stop you getting to that point the psychological one is a really interesting question though because especially with tennis players we've had a number of young players come to us and I've been unable to unravel whether the cramping is coming from their head or from their muscles or more likely a combination of the two wow and and sometimes maybe they'll outgrow it as they get older, but that could that be the psychological experience so they become more chilled? Mm-hmm. Or is it to do with growth or is it to do with, you know, conditioning? Maybe all three. Right. But I certainly think that being more mentally focused and relaxed is not going to hurt your game in any yeah. other way. So it's a right. good thing to work on. 
if you think you're a kind of tense and stressy person. Because if you think about the reality of it, you know, when I sometimes cramp in, because I swim in cold water, you know, sometimes when I'm doing open water mm-hmm. swim races, and you, feel, I can feel if you don't mentally relax, you can feel yourself tightening up. And then when I tighten up, I'm more likely to cramp. And I, I spoke to a tennis player in um, Virginia last week who was having mm-hmm. getting thumb cramps. But a lot of the time, it was just over-gripping the racket. You know, when it was yeah. getting serious, it was just gripping harder and harder. And, you know, he told me he had to even go to a courtside and, like, lever his thumb off the racket once because it wouldn't – he couldn't act, activate it off. But wow. we came to the conclusion – it's yet to be proven because it was only last week – but we came mm-hmm. to the conclusion that this is just – he just gets over-amped with it. This is not yeah. so much of a physical just thing. Just breathe. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, chill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do chill some yoga. <laughs> yeah. Move to California. It's that yeah. East Coast mentality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. But tennis players are mental athletes. <laughs> oh, it's, we do I mean, struggle. It's, <laughs> it's such a hard game. I mean, I've not played at a high level, but I obviously watch it and understand the dynamic a little bit. And what's always blown me away is, you know, this thing of you go, at least if I go into triathlon, I know how long it is. Yeah. You, yeah. Know, you don't know if you're going to be out there for, you know, to and, and you're constantly every it's adversarial you know triathlon is when you're racing head to head with someone but a lot of it you get to relax and tick over and do your own thing and, mm. and that but this is like this is you know gladiatorial every point and that <laughs> you've got it you've got to get your head in the game for that haven't you and, and yeah if you've got to be able to do that and meter out your energy and all these other things and not and if because if you're stressed you're going to burn more energy you're going to tense up you're going to hurt muscles you know and you're probably not going to play as well yeah a hundred percent and you might cramp yeah. 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 We definitely see that a lot at the high level. A couple more questions about foods. How do bananas help? I eat a banana at least once a day. Uh, I think bananas are a good, great food, but they do, again, no magic. They, they talk about the potassium in them. They've got a reasonable level, but it's not a game changer. They're just fruit and veg. good for you. Yeah. And then a eat, similar eat the question. Ones you like. A similar question about drinking milk. This person said that they found that drinking real milk the night before a match, not during a match, but that has significantly reduced their cramping. So they wanted to know if this is a proven thing and if chocolate milk would have the same effect. Um, well, I, maybe it's just the hydration effect. I mean, milk's got a little bit of salt in it as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're just hydrating a, a little bit better as a result. But I would be surprised if there's anything, again, if there's anything sort of special in milk. We've we've got, I keep saying this because, and I don't want to, um, you know, seem like it's a constant plug, but we've got a really good blog on our website about starting events hydrated. Now it's geared towards, the, the, the text is geared towards endurance athletes, but mm-hmm. that might be worth putting up at that point because it yeah. talks about the last 24 hours and the kind of hydration plan and avoiding over drinking and loading up with the right kind of stuff. And um, yeah, that would probably help answer that question as well. Definitely. I guess, yeah, for sure. I feel like I'm starting to get the vibe. I feel like I got a little bit of an education, but here's another question. I often have a cup or two of coffee before a morning match. Is coffee actually a diuretic? And is there anything besides water I should drink or eat with my coffee before the match? Is it frowned upon to drink coffee when wanting to be more hydrated? I would say generally, if you drink coffee regularly, and it doesn't seem to have a bad diuretic effect on you, then not a problem. I can definitely, so I get up and most of my exercise is done between sort of, I'll start, I, I try and start between 6 and 6.30 a.m. And I'll always have a coffee before I go. Um, and sometimes some water or something like that. Or if it was a hard session, the other thing I would do is do what you do and have a, a, a more 
high load of salt. So I'd have a, uh, in my case, I'd use one of my own products, the pH 1500. So I'd have a saltier drink to try and retain more fluid to get yeah. through that session. And that's a really good idea. But going back to the coffee question, I think unless you're someone who caffeine has a seriously pronounced diuretic effect where you don't drink it regularly, then you mm-hmm. might find the opposite is true that your performance will drop if you don't have the coffee because you habituated to the caffeine and you know as much as we don't like to admit it most of us it's a drug you know it, it's it, you it is addictive and it is a stimulant and it does mm-hmm. help your focus and those sort of things so you, if you yank that away you may be and good so yeah dose response is important you know I, w- I wouldn't have four coffees before i go out but i would have one maybe two okay that's, that's good for me nice um, here's a question about a diabetic. I'm a diabetic and now a heart patient after a heart attack and quadruple bypass this past September. I'm hitting a little, but hopefully we'll be able to play league tennis this summer. Drinks high in sugar are out, but also drinks with high sodium content and salt tablets. I live in Atlanta where summer temperatures are usually 90s and very humid. How can I hydrate enough and what products are recommended to avoid cramps, but also avoid sugars and too much salt? Yeah, it's a diffi- it is a difficult one. And I would say, that, I mean, I'm not a doctor and I wouldn't profess to give any medical advice. So the first advice is obviously like work with your consultant or with your, your doctor mm-hmm. in this sort of scenario. Yeah. What, what I would what I would add, though, is that the generic advice to, you know, the, I think I can see it on the sugar side to an extent with diabetes, but mm-hmm. the generic advice to reduce the sodium may not apply if you're sweating a lot. And the only reason for that is because what, what I'm saying is the relative sodium load that you're taking in is only balancing out what you're sweating out so if you are having if that person is having cramping issues and problems and exercising in the heat and stuff it'd be worth talking to their doctor about whether it would be appropriate to experiment with a little bit more sodium with their drinks at times when they're sweating because Mm -hmm. we're talking about a zero-sum game there it's basically one in one out you wouldn't want to sit around at home drinking highly salty or highly sugary drinks when you're not doing anything because I can see that that could push up the blood pressure and create problems. But if you're sweating out a lot and not replacing that salt, then I can also see a rationale where that could be causing or leading to some of those different problems. So I would certainly say what in that scenario, the best thing to do is, is try to find a doctor who, who you can work with, who's got some experience of sport as well as the condition that you're dealing with. Because unfortunately, there's some loads of fantastic physicians out there and we work with some of them, but there's also a lot that don't have a a strong foot in sport. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe wouldn't look at it from that perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. Good advice. Now, everything seems to be very individual with this sweating and salt and all of that. So someone was curious, and I'm also curious, is there an over-the-counter sort of test to figure out how much you're sweating, how much salt you're losing? Um, This person says, I know professionals have something like this in the lab and specific rehydration drinks get created from that, but how can I do this on my own? Is there a way to do it on my own? Yeah, we looked at that a few years ago and we've we've developed a, an online version of our sweat test. So we do a sweat test where we take a sweat sample from an athlete and obviously that's the gold standard. Mm-hmm. But we've also developed a free online questionnaire and it's on cool. precisionhydration.com. You can you put your answers in and it will essentially we we liken it to how 
you might get fitted for a t-shirt in terms of we don't we're not going to dial it in precisely and there's not a lot of need to but we can from the answers to the questions we can hopefully start to steer towards whether you're a small medium large or extra large or in this case like a low medium high or very high requirement for salt and fluid Mm -hmm. and then give and then give you the ranges and parameters of what you might want to try then in trial and error so that's that's kind of probably one of the best ways to get started Okay, cool. We'll definitely link that in the show notes as well. So let's wrap up a few things. Uh, Give us a walkthrough on the best, you know, again, everything is very individual, but what would you suggest to a player the day before a match, during a match, and then the recovery of a match? What does that look like? I would say the day before a match, if it's if you're a sweater, if it's going to be in the heat, or if you think mm-hmm. it's going to be a long, it could be a long game or high intensity. Mm-hmm. I would drink around about 16 ounces of a very strong electrolyte drink, so something like our pH 1500, mm-hmm. which is which is going to basically help to load your body up with sodium and fluids as much as it can can absorb and hold on to without just causing you to pee and pee. And you wouldn't have that on top of lots and lots of water or anything. You would just you know, knock out a bottle of water that day, have one of those instead and leave it at that. I'd then repeat that process about 16 ounces. I mean, it might be eight or 12 ounces if you're very small. It might be 18, 24 ounces if you're very big, but that sort of range of a similar strong drink about an hour to 90 minutes before you start. And again, the idea is that's instead of just guzzling water at that point to top your tanks off and and get you going. So hopefully that gets you to the start properly hydrated. Then we start to have to be, it's hard to be generic because it's clearly going to be down to like how much sweat you're losing and how long the game goes on. But you've got to try to tailor your intake to some degree. It's got to move with your losses. Okay. So if you're someone who's got a low, low sweat rate and it's cold and you're not sweating much, you might get away with drinking virtually nothing. You know, you okay. really can get go a long way with that when your body's just not losing it. On the high, high, high side, if you're someone who's sweating two plus liters an hour and and really working hard in the heat, even then, I think the maximum amount that we see a lot of people sensibly drinking is probably between 1.2, 1.4 liters per hour, which is mm-hmm. what's that in ounces. That's going to be like 40, 40 ounces an hour or something like that. And And to be clear, that's a lot. You know, I wouldn't yeah. expect that's not a target or anything. That's that's if you're someone who can tolerate that and you're sweating a hell of a lot. That's usually about the maximum we can see someone holding on to. And that usually has to be a pretty strong electrolyte drink in order to help your body hold on to that. So right. most people are going to play somewhere between those two figures, which is okay. still a pretty wide ballpark. But totally. But I, I'd hate to be drawn on kind of giving out a figure because it's like the average figure. Yeah. It's like the thing that a, a guy who um, was talking to me about statistics told me once which was that you know you he was trying to talk to me about averages and ranges and he said look i can tell you that this guy's average temperature his average body temperature is fine but his head's in the freezer and his feet are in the oven yeah so you know <laughs> kind of the average is a bit meaningless you've got to look yeah. at the range and then figure out where you are between the two it's definitely been pretty eye-opening i know i've always thought it's individual, but I don't think I realized, and I don't know if our listeners realize how individual, there's no like set recipe. Like if you do this, you'll be hydrated. If you do this, you'll, you'll not cramp. So it's really kind of going to be something where you have to start diving into your own body and really taking notes from how your body reacts in the heat, in the cold, when you're running, when you're playing tennis, when you're in the gym kind of thing. So that's actually really cool to know. And again, it's not always filling up with water per se. It's reloading that salt level and making Mm. sure 
I'm learning so many things. <laughs> cool. Now you were mentioning, I talked to you before you said you're heading down to Australia. Yeah. I had a question with all the fires and the crazy smoke and bad air quality, is that going to affect hydration levels? Yeah, I think certainly with the heat, you know, because mm-hmm. obviously it's incredibly hot there at the moment, or it has been. I mean, I just yeah. heard that I think it's raining on the East Coast, which is what they need to help with the, the fires because that situation is, you know, unbelievable. But yeah. I think, you know, air quality specifically, probably not a great specific impact on hydration because more, more so it's just whether you can exercise or not, whether you can, you know, I know that the tennis right. has been disrupted. Yeah. Because of it. Um, so not specifically, I'd say it's got more to do with the sort of the heat and humidity aspect of it. And obviously okay. Australia, the, the temperatures are, I, I guess, similar to what a lot of people in the US experience across the southern belt of states. You know, you've got everything from kind of hot and dry Arizona type weather through mm-hmm. to hot and humid Florida weather. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. It's so going to be brutal. Big challenge. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today. Is there anything else that you want to express? I know you guys set up a discount code for our listeners at Precision Hydration. Yeah. That will be 15% off their first order using the code TalkTennis at PrecisionHydration.com. We'll be sure to link that in the show notes, plus the blog and the sweat test for sure, because there's some great information on your website. Yeah, I would say the, be- the, the best thing for us is that we're a small we're a small team. There's 11 of us based in our little office in the UK. And okay. we love working with athletes. You know, what we yeah. do first and foremost, we do produce products and we sell them and that's part of what we do, but we love working with athletes. And if people have got questions, like there's been a lot of activity with your message board, and a lot of questions that we might not have answered in full or... Yeah. Or whatever. There's a team here with, uh, with myself and some other sports scientists. And if they email us at hello at precisionhydration.com, we're happy to engage and, you know, kind of answer questions about hydration, nutrition, that sort of stuff. It's what we do. So we're nice. always, it's always cool to hear. And we love, you know, we, we're getting more and more people in the tennis world getting in touch. So keep it yeah. going. Awesome. Well, definitely. Thank you for giving us all this knowledge. I learned a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for the invite. No, yeah, of course. Come visit, have to come and visit you guys at some point. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. I know I definitely did. If you are interested in checking out Precision Hydration, go to their website, which is just www.precisionhydration.com. And as I mentioned, if you use the code TALKTENNIS, you will receive 15% off your first order. I'll also go ahead and link the blogs and articles that we reference in the show notes. And if you have any further questions or you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com or leave us a voicemail at 805-270-3336. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. And for all your tennis needs, be sure to visit us at Tennis Warehouse, Tennis Warehouse Europe, or Tennis Only. Until next time, happy hitting. Yes, all things tennis. Cool. Yeah. Do you play at all? I did play when I was a kid, not to a good level, but you know, I know which end of the racket to hold. Right. <laughs> <laughs>